Welcome to Rural Health Pulse. I'm Jim Kinnear, Chief Human Resources Officer at the Indiana Regional Medical Center. In this series, we focus on ideas and stories impacting the health of our region and explore the programs and initiatives designed to improve health care and wellness. This podcast is a collaborative effort of IRMC and Indiana University of Pennsylvania. In this episode, we'll be discussing breast cancer in a rural setting. Just as with so many other diseases, those with breast cancer in rural America are less likely to have the cancer diagnosed early and to receive the treatment necessary. Our guest today is Dr. Dan Clark, who is the director of the Comprehensive Breast Center at Indiana Regional Medical Center. Well, Dr. Clark, welcome. To get started, would you share some highlights of your background and your current role at IRMC? Sure. I'm a general surgeon, but I specialize mostly in a lot of oncologic surgeries. do a lot of breast cancer, colorectal surgery, as well as the, the whole gamut of the rest of the general surgery. Um, been around many places across the country, been at much larger institutions, ran those departments and such. But one of my passions is breast cancer, and I've been involved in breast cancer since my residency. And I've been doing breast cancer, it's about 50% of my practice, and I've been doing breast cancer for about 30 years now. And I came to IRMC four and a half years ago to help run not only the robotics, but the breast center. And so I'm now the uh, medical director for the IRMC Comprehensive Breast Center. Well, it's great to hear your long-term you know, involvement in this area of breast cancer. We know that breast cancer is one of the most prevalent cancers. What are some of the unique challenges related to detection and treatment in a rural setting? Well, availability is the biggest thing. You know, and, and when I came here four and a half years ago, you know, we had limited availability of all the imaging studies that, that are useful for breast screening. You know, the, the latest thing is the 3D mammography. And, you know, when I arrived here at that time, we had one 3D mammogram machine here at main campus. The other one was a 2D, and then we had a 2D down in Blairsville. Um, since that time, we've replaced all of them with 3D mammography. And this year, we're also going to replace the Northern Cambria unit with a 3D mammography as well. The other challenge was that sometimes mammogram is just not enough, and you need supplemental screening. And we had, although we had ultrasound available here, we didn't have breast MRI available. And so we're pleased to say that as of January 2019, we have a brand new breast MRI unit here as well. So now we have all the different imaging modalities available. The good thing about mammogram is that you actually don't need a doctor's order. It's covered by insurance. You can just call up and make an appointment to have your mammogram. So I think a lot of women don't understand that. They feel like they have to go to their doctor, get an appointment, you know, go through an appointment with their primary care doctor. You don't have to do that. You can just call right up and get an appointment for your mammogram and get your annual mammogram done. Well, that's great to know that that barrier that a lot of people might put out there is not a real one and one that could be overcome in terms of access to being able to get those screenings. Can you, you, do, you mentioned the change from 2D to 3D. Can you give a sense of why that's important in terms of detection? Sure. If you think about when x-ray first started, you know, you had a, a carbon film that came out, you know, and that was plain film mammography. So you got two images, one from top to bottom, one left to right. A while back, we went to digital just like our phones. You know, we used to get negatives and then you'd get them printed. 
You know, well, that was the same thing that we did with mammograms, you know, but it was the negative we were looking at. You know, would come out and we'd put it up on the x-ray imager. Then everything went digital. You know, CAT scans are digital, everything's digital. So mammograms went digital as well. And the benefit of digital is that you can play with the contrast and the brightness and things like that. So just like you play with a, a photo on your phone and enhance it. But the problem is it doesn't give you any more depth behind it or anything. It's still one image, top to bottom, one image, left to right. 3D is actually called tomosynthesis, and just like CAT scan is computerized tomography, tomo means we get multiple cuts through. And so instead of one image top to bottom and one image left to right, you get hundreds of images from top to bottom and left to right, and now you can screen through those. And so you get a much more in-depth look at the breast with 3D or tomography of the breast with mammograms nowadays. And things that, you know, little things that used to hide on regular mammograms now all of a sudden come into focus and then go out of focus when you see it in 3D because you're screening through the entire breast. And the benefit is even the technology has advanced so much that it's actually even less radiation than a chest X-ray. Thanks for that description. I think that was really insightful. You had also mentioned the breast MRI. How is that used in part of care? Well, a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to get a mammogram because it's a little uncomfortable because, you know, you, the breast has to be compressed to be able to be seen on the x-ray. The denser the tissue, the harder it is to see through, so you have to spread that tissue out and to get a good image. So some women just say, well, I'll just get a breast MRI. Well, MRIs see things completely different than a mammogram, and one does not replace the other. Mammogram is an x-ray, and x-ray is still the best way at screening the breast. Mammogram by far picks up more breast cancers and more findings than any other imaging modality. But sometimes, especially with like dense breasts, x-rays have a hard time seeing through dense tissue. If you look at bone on an x-ray, it's bright white because the x-ray images don't penetrate through. So the denser the breasts are, the whiter the mammogram. And we're looking for cysts or masses that appear white on a mammogram. So you're white on white, sometimes you won't be able to see them with very dense breasts. An MRI, on the other hand, looks at things more physiologically. You get an, kind of an anatomical view. It's, 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 simple to, it's, it's hard to simply explain it, but you get an anatomical view, but you get a contrast agent with the MRI. And breast tissue, normal breast tissue, takes up that contrast agent in a certain way. Abnormal tissue takes it up differently. So if you have inflammation, it'll take the contrast up more readily. If you have a hyperactive breast cancer, it'll take up the contrast more readily as well. So it gives us more of a physiologic view, and that's oversimplifying it, versus mammogram is a x-ray view of the breast. And when you look at how good is it compared to mammogram, when you look at 1,000 women having a mammogram, it will pick up between 10 to 15 more cancers per 1,000. Um, so it's not like it's going to completely replace mammogram because mammogram pick up those, uh, the rest of those. Thanks for that description. And again, really helpful clarification. In addition to enhancing 3D mammograms and adding the breast MRI, any other particular things that have been done at IRMC that you're proud of and would like to share? Yeah, there's been a lot. You know, um, as you were aware, you know, when I came here and, and I was recruited, Breast is a, a special interest of mine. I've been doing it for now over 30 years. 
And I said, well, if you want me to come here, you really have to up, up your game in breast. And we really need to make this a state-of-the-art breast center. I want you to become nationally certified. Because by becoming nationally certified, you have to make sure all your ducks in a row to meet or beat all national standards, not just in radiology, but in all aspects of breast care. And it's called the NAPBC, the National Accreditation Program for Breast Centers. It's a mouthful, but it's the same organization, the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, that certifies cancer centers across the country. And they've developed a national certification to more standardize breast care and to meet the national standards for breast care. So you have to put all your data from all aspects of your breast care out there to be reviewed externally and tell whether or not we are meeting or beating the national standards in everything. And that's not just the surgeons, it's the radiologists, it's the oncologists, it's the nurses, the PAs, the physical therapists, the dieticians. You know, anybody who touches a breast cancer patient has to put their data out there and we have to show that we're meeting or beating the national standards for our outcomes with all aspects of breast care. And it's not just cancer, it's benign breast cancer or benign breast disease as well. So it's a very rigorous process. And the first part of that was getting the proper technology. You know, we, we had to have up-to-date technology, and that was done very quickly. The 3D mammography and the breast MRI were all within six months of my arrival. We had all that. And the rest of that is not only that, but getting all your radiology technicians certified, technologists certified, um, in breast imaging. You know, they were doing breast imaging, but they had never actually undergone the certification. So now I'm proud to say that they all did everything they need and took the certification and they're now all nationally certified breast imagers as well. Also was the radiologist getting trained in breast MRI and reading MRIs and now being able to do MRI guided breast biopsies. It was the nurses getting doing education in breast cancer care, not just any care, but specific to breast cancer. The surgeons have to show that they keep up their continuing medical education every year in breast cancer. So. In two and a half years, we then became the first nationally certified breast program by the NAPBC between Harrisburg and Cleveland. And we were the first one in all of Western and Central PA to achieve that designation. Wow, that's a very impressive accomplishment. And it's interesting just to hear that it's just not about the technology, but it's the skill of everyone who's involved in the care of that patient and that focus on striving for those higher standards as well. Right. You need the technology, but then we had to put our cancer results up against what Cleveland Clinic is doing, what MD Anderson is doing, what Sloan Kettering is doing, you know, what Hopkins is doing. We had to compare our results to what they're doing, and they had to be as good as or better. You know, it's called the NCCN, the National Clinical Cancer Network, that sets the national guidelines for cancer care that all the major cancer centers use. You know, Hillman Cancer Center goes by the NCCN guidelines, you know. And so we had to show that we were meeting or beating the NCCN guidelines as well as our outcomes. I was wondering, can you think of one or two examples of how striving for these standards and putting this program in place has had a direct impact on, on patient care or patient situation? Well, the, the easiest one to mention is in the radiology department. You know, not only did we get the 3D mammography and the breast MRI, but with the technician, technologists, and the radiologists all going and getting extra certification in breast imaging and everything, 
Along the way, we also achieved the top rating by the American College of Radiology for our breast imaging. It's called a center of excellence for breast imaging, and it's only given to those imaging centers that meet the American College of Radiology strict standards for breast imaging. And so along the way to get our national certification for the whole breast center, the radiology department was awarded a Center of Excellence in Breast Imaging by the American College of Radiology, the top award, they, they, the top certification they give. That's great. So two accolades in terms of recognition. And, you know, when we think about rural health care, you gave the example of being unique with the NAPBC accreditation between Cleveland and Harrisburg. That covers a lot of geography. And to think about a rural hospital standing out with a program in that area is really impressive. The second program in, in Western PA to get it was Allegheny Health Network, just to give you an idea. We, we got it before any of the major centers had it. That's great. So Dr. Clark, I was curious, thinking back, you know, in the last five years, how has breast cancer care changed? Well, a lot of what's changed, I always tell women that, you know, I'm doing the same operations I did as a resident 30 years ago. You know, it was mam- or uh, mastectomy versus lumpectomy. We're doing far more lumpectomies now than mastectomies. And one of the big misconceptions is that when you get a breast cancer, the f- a lot of the first reaction is, I just want it gone. You know, just do the mastectomy, get rid of it. It's my breast, it's not my life. The problem with that thinking is that the survival for the majority of breast cancers, and there's exceptions, but for the majority of breast cancers, the 25 to 30 year survival is identical between mastectomy and lumpectomy. I always say that, you know, when you come in with a bad skin cancer on your arm, a bad melanoma of your arm, we don't cut your arm off. You know, we take the skin cancer out. If you come in with a colon cancer, we don't take your whole colon out. We take that section that's involved out. With breasts, is the only organ in the body where the initial reaction is just take it all. And the outcomes we've learned from cancer surgery over decades is that more surgery doesn't always mean better outcomes. And that is also true with breast cancer. A mastectomy does not lead to better long-term survival. Like I said, there are notorious exceptions to that. But in the vast majority of cases, a lumpectomy is just as good of a surgery as a mastectomy. So we're doing far less aggressive surgery nowadays than we used to for breast cancer and having better survivals long-term. So we're doing less surgery and better outcomes. And a big reason for that is the advancements in the non-surgical treatments. You know, we use a lot of hormonal therapy for breast cancer. Um, Breast cells have estrogen and progesterone receptors on them, and most breast cancers do. There are some that don't. But if you do have estrogen and receptors positive on your breast cancer, we can use an estrogen blocker, and, and that will actually dramatically decrease your risk of recurrence. We found that in some older women, the using hormonal therapy is just as good as chemotherapy. You know, so we're using less chemotherapy in that situation and more hormonal therapy. You know, um, the other things that we're finding out is that we've made tremendous advances in the realm of chemotherapy. There's a really bad breast cancer called triple negative, and that's when both the estrogen receptors and the progesterone receptors are negative and another receptor called the HER2 receptor that normally you want to be negative, but it's worse if it's negative along with the other two. If all three of those receptors don't show on the breast cancer cell, that's a very aggressive breast cancer, and that's called a triple negative breast cancer. 
it's amazing to me that just in the last five to seven years, the survival from that has improved dramatically. It used to be it didn't matter if you did surgery or chemo first because if somebody came in with that, it was bad, you know, and it was it was a, it was bad, hard to see patients go through that, and it was hard to talk to them about it. Now we know that if you get chemotherapy for triple negative breast cancer, our survivals have improved dramatically. So nobody wants to hear the, the word chemotherapy, you know, but we've improved the long-term survival, not because of surgery. Like I said, we're doing less surgery than we used to, but because of the advancements in the non-surgical treatment, which is the way I prefer to call it medical treatment for, for cancer, because now we're, you know, the latest thing on the horizon is immunotherapy. That's just blowing up right now in all forms of cancer treatment, and including breasts, you know, using targeted therapies attached to antibodies. You know, immune ther immunotherapy for breast cancer is the next thing that's going to change the whole landscape in the near future. Well, that's fascinating. That was going to be one of my next questions of what's next, but you've answered that. I'm curious, I, I know you've also have had some involvement with genetic counseling and, and the role of genetics in breast cancer. Can you share a little bit about that as well? Sure. That comes from personal. Um, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer 11 years ago, and she was in her 40s at the time, and it was a shock to us because no family history whatsoever and the, of really any cancers. But unfortunately, 20% of women under the age of 50 who get diagnosed with breast cancer without any family history will carry a genetic mutation that puts them at risk for breast cancer. And that dramatically changes the treatment regimens. That's one of the areas, you know, we talk about BRCA1 and BRCA2, that's BRCA1 and BRCA2 for the breast cancer genes. You know, and, they, and they've been around the longest and we know the most about them. But with BRCA1 and BRCA2, you have a higher risk of it coming back, and you have a higher risk of it showing up in the opposite breast. So that's one of those notable exceptions I talked about where mastectomies make a difference. So in anybody under the age of 50 who comes in with a breast cancer, it's a good idea to have genetic testing done to make sure you don't carry one of the, of the cancer genes for breasts. And we now know that there's actually 11 genes not just two. We started out with just the two, BRCA1 and BRCA2, but now there's 11 different genes that we look at for breast cancer links. Some of them have a little less of a risk than BRCA. Some are even much worse than BRCA. Um, but in those situations, because the recurrence risk and the, and the opposite breast getting breast cancer is much higher, that's where a mastectomy would be indicated. So it's a good idea to do genetic testing in anybody under the age of 50 who gets breast cancer. Then you look at other family history of cancers. So if you have breast cancer and you're over the age of 50, but you have a family history of other breast cancers or pancreatic cancer, which people don't realize that we call it the BRCA gene because breast cancer was the first cancer associated with that mutation. We now know with BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations, it's also associated with an increased risk of pancreatic cancer, melanoma, prostate cancer, and male breast cancer. So we look at those family histories, and if you come in, and even if you're over 60, but you have those risk factors, then you should probably undergo genetic testing because it makes a difference in your care, but also your children's care and your siblings' care. Um, they should all be tested because they could be carrying the gene as well. So when my wife was diagnosed, I went with her to the genetic testing, genetic counseling, because she was in her, in her 40s. I was actually underwhelmed. 
with the 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 interaction that we had at the time. We went to a major medical center for this, and I came back with, with more questions than answers. And I was a breast surgeon. My wife is a breast radiologist. You know, we're two very informed individuals, and we came back still with questions. And I'm thinking, well, what if other people, you know, who don't have the medical knowledge we have, and they're undergoing this? You know, so I started reading about it and educating myself and getting certified and doing the continuing medical education. So now I'm happy to say that the NAPBC certified me for my genetic testing, but I've been doing genetic counseling and genetic testing now for 11 years. And I've brought that to Indiana with me. And so now we have a full genetic office in my office, in the surgery office. And, you know, you just have to call up and make an appointment. You know, and we'll do the screening. If you think you're at risk, we can do the screening right there and tell you whether or not you would qualify for genetic testing. And... I always joke, because when I started doing this 11 years ago, we were looking at three genes, essentially, BRCA1, BRCA2, and a gene for colon cancer. Now we're looking at 35 different genes, and it continues to grow, you know, because we know all these different genes now put you at different risk for different cancers. And so we, we test for all 11 different breast cancer genes and all 35 of total genes that at risk, put you at risk for mutations. Well, that's amazing as to hear just the advancements in that aspect of it as well and how that's useful. I think anyone listening would be impressed with the, with the technology, the new treatment alternatives that are available. Sometimes people get confused low on the basics and just in terms of the screening guidelines. So just to clarify that, could you share with us what are the current guidelines for breast cancer screening? Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of confusion out there because a few years back, the U.S. Preventive Task Force kind of stirred the mud and came out and said, you shouldn't get mammograms till age 50 and then only every other year and then stop at age 75. That threw the breast world up on its ears because it was completely wrong because they used very out-of-date data. They ignored the fact that the highest or the, the best improvement in mortality with breast cancer occurred in women between the age of 40 and 50. So if we stopped imaging women in the age of 40, we would be turning the clock back to the 1950s. You know, and we've made the most improvement in mortality in that age group. So, and, that, and like I say, there were a lot of data out there that showed that, but they unfortunately used out-of-date data and things like that. So they came out, all the major organizations came out with recommendations then. And some of them had a mix, some of them had different things. But the main things that came out is that it's been proven that having your mammogram at age 40 and starting at age 40 and going yearly for life has dramatically decreased mortality in breast cancer. Our mortality in breast cancer has gone down dramatically since the onset of mammograms. And that it's had more impact on outcome of cancer mortality than almost any other study out there that we do. And so, you know, it's really made a dramatic improvement. So, the NCCM, which I mentioned earlier, the National Clinical Cancer Network, is all the major cancer centers across the country. They get together periodically throughout the year and give updates based on all the data and research that's out there currently and look at, okay, should we change this? Should we keep these recommendations? What are, what's the best data-driven out there? And these are the ones I mentioned before, you know, Sloan Cutter and Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, MD Anderson, Hopkins, 25 of the largest cancer centers across the country review this every year. They came out very strongly and said, no, the data clearly shows you need to get your mammograms beginning at age 40 
and continue every year for life. There should not be an age cutoff. It should be a health cutoff. You know, we continue to do mammograms because they're not a difficult imaging. And if you get a small cancer in a 90-year-old and you do a lumpectomy, you can cure that. You know, so in a lumpectomy is a small, it's a biopsy essentially, you know, and so, you know, there's no reason even when you're not in the best of health to not get a mammogram. So, you know, they came out very strongly and said that, you know, you should get a mammogram at 40 and every year for life unless you just absolutely can't tolerate a mammogram anymore. And the American College of Surgeons, American College of Radiology, you know, all the different majoring organs, American clinical oncology organizations all came out and agreed with that. Thank you so much for clarifying that. And thanks so much for being here today and really helping us to understand more about what's available here in a a rural setting and the importance of following through on taking advantage of these screening tools. And one thing I'd be amiss if I didn't mention is that the newest addition to our breast breast department is my wife, um, my wife is a breast radiologist. That's all she does is just imaging with mammogram, ultrasound, MRI, as well as all the biopsy modalities with all three of them. And that's all she specializes in, and she has, brings 30 years of experience with breast imaging. She joined our staff here in February. Um, she had built the program where she was, but then I kept telling her how great it is up here, and she was kind of the final cog in the wheel to our breast program. So now we have a dedicated breast radiologist, that's all she does is breast imaging. Wow, another great resource for the community and great to have both of you here as part of the team at IRMC. Well, thank you. Many cancer deaths, including breast cancer, can be prevented with early access to both diagnostic care as well as interventional care. Regional centers of excellence, such as Comprehensive Breast Center at Indiana Regional Medical Center, provides these services in the rural environment. Rural Health Pulse is a collaborative effort of the Indiana Regional Medical Center, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and the Indiana community. It is produced by Chris Korn from IUP's Division of University Advancement and recorded by the IUP Communications Media. I'm Jim Kinnear. Thank you for listening, and be sure to watch for future episodes of Rural Health Pulse.